0: This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hey, Dad, can you hear me okay? Uh, uh, Hi, Ernie. How are you doing? Pretty good.
1: Josh is here with me. We are running a little late for the camp drop-off.
0: Oh, okay. A college kid. Hi. (laughs) Yes. Are you enjoying Stanford? I am. It's a lot of fun. Oh, okay. Okay, I think, will you have a... Like a concert at the end of the camp?
1: Yes, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, Which, unfortunately, uh, I will miss because I'll be with you. Oh, I see. <laughs> will Sandhya be able to go or Philji? Yeah.
1: Everyone else
0: should be going. Oh, okay. They probably will record some of that. Okay.
1: Good? Yeah. Let me see if I can okay, switch so... the headphones.
0: Okay. Can, you, I'll can you hear me now? Yes.
1: Yeah. Josh is trying to finish up some homework
0: for Camp, so I'll let him...
1: Okay. Skip the conversation. So...
0: Okay, we'll uh, start with Titan.
1: Yes. So I figure this was 10 or 11 now. Um, this is the uh, chapter where it mostly talks about... So the last chapter was his sort of clawing his way to success by acquiring all these other companies. Right. things um, that so were not strictly legal. And yeah. this is mostly about like, yeah. a relatively quiet period where he's just kind of running the business. And it talks okay. about his relationship with his employees, hmm. uh, which the, the best word I would describe is paternalistic, where he takes good care of them. And sort of has yeah. high expectations for you know scrupulous accounting. Uh he worries about their moral character. Uh it tells sort of a positive story about one of his rivals he hired, I think it's Archibald, yeah. who he more or less uh, induces to give up drinking. Uh, Oh, wow. and it's uh, kind of a success story where he basically is, uh, you know, you know. I think the approval of Rockefeller plays a key role in his, you know, not always successful but largely successful attempts to break away. Like from a personal
0: life. Yeah, in his personal life.
1: Yeah, I mean, basically, he was an alcoholic, and it was yeah. destroying his career and his life. And he, you know, mostly credits Rockefeller with uh, calling him to
0: you know, leave that lifestyle behind.
1: And it definitely seems you remember, like you would,
0: yeah. If I remember correct, he probably was one of the inner circle that stayed with him till the end. I think we'll find out later on, yeah. uh, I think so. Yeah, okay. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Sorry. Hmm. Right. sorry, hold on a second. You need something? A mask? Um, I have this one. That's the only one I have. You can check the pockets here. Oh, Dad, do you know if you have any masks somewhere in the CRV, in the glove compartment or anything?
0: No, it will be in the, side, in the middle of the night, if not.
1: Okay. Yeah. He found one. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Um,
1: and then on the negative side, there's this guy, I think Andrews, the Scotsman, who was the sort of engineering tinkerer who first came up he with the uh, He was one of his first partners, right? Yes, I mean, he was a critical, I mean, according to turnout at least, he was a critical player in getting this whole enterprise off the ground. Yeah. Um, he was a yeah. yeah, he was the one who basically built the refinery and it was kind of a technological yeah. marvel. He's like the first guy to have a computer. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> in, in <laughs> the past, everyone came, really? would come to see it cause, yeah. So, so, like, people would, all the businessmen would come and see his refinery because he's kind of brought the whole idea to Cleveland. So he's literally the father of the Cleveland refinery industry, wow. which of course is basically how Rockefeller made his fortune, right? was by right. the refinery and then by buying all the other Cleveland refineries. all of which sort of owe uh, uh, sort of at least a historical debt to Andrews. So what so happened chapter, to Andrews
0: then? Did he leave? Did he leave? Yeah, so this is the chapter where they had the big falling out.
1: Okay. And so what happened was is Andrews was inherently more conservative than Rockefeller, uh, mm. financially and otherwise. And so Rockefeller was always borrowing money,
0: and investing yeah. in the
1: business, and stuff around growth. And Andrews, as an early partner, you know, had a you know thought of himself probably as a co-founder right uh, and therefore felt like he had, a, he should have a voice in this mm. and well, we're supposed to drop you off over there apparently uh, there's a go, oh there's another go. camp going on we're getting stuck in there that's why you're getting dragged over here let me drop you off so you can escape Josh <laughs> or, or just pull over somewhere else because we are not in this camp and this is causing a great deal of confusion
0: sorry are you dropping him off at the train station or No, at the it's a uh, campus Stanford campus yeah. be a huge campus there okay. yeah. All
1: right so anyway the um yeah so the issue with andrews is, is that he um, was very frustrated and kind of like before. I don't think Rockefeller did this intentionally, but it was very similar to what happened with his first set of partners. And they got very upset, and right. they said, "Well, you know, I'm gonna." Uh, I think they the original time they said, "Okay, we should dissolve the partnership." Here, I think Rockefeller offered to buy him out. Oh, and then Andrews said, "Well, you know." You know i wouldn't sell it for less than a million dollars okay and so then rockefeller you know gave a million dollars and he was sort of that similarly that he was like sort of surprised how uh-huh. it happened but he took the mm. money and then mm. of course when the stocks became worth far more than that he became bitter yeah. about it yeah uh, as often happens right so um and so like from andrew's perspective you know, it, it, the story does not end well. Right. I mean it is okay, right? I mean he, he gets a mansion and he you know, but he lives kind of a um a shallow life afterwards is probably what I would describe. Oh. Right? He has this like mansion, but it's not very well respected mm. or well socialized and he feels sort of cheated. Um and okay. so that that part's on the end See.
0: in that. Yeah. Yeah. See. One of the things is this point in the story, Andrews is redundant, right? I mean, he. I mean, he's, he's not essential, refiner. certainly. Yeah. Yeah, non-essential but, in the uh, sense in the in the partnership. I know he has a input on all that, but his technical knowledge at this point is not needed. I don't think they are doing innovations and changing refineries.
1: Well, that's a, I think a similar point is that, is that the and this is like. A, um, I think we were talking about this in the tech industry. Is that there's a shift from where technological innovation is what matters to where distribution is what matters? Right. Yeah. You know, and it, yeah. So the 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 technical co-founder, if you will, to follow the
0: startup yeah. metaphor,
1: is not a key player.
0: Yeah, at this stage of the game.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and in fact, his business instincts are out of whack with the current reality which is often a challenge with technical co-founders.
0: Of course. Right?
1: Yeah. Uh, Have you
0: found that in the tech industry with your experience?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, generally speaking, everybody is imprinted with whatever was the most traumatic phase or the most successful phase of mm. their business, Yeah. right? And one of the big things, like the classic example is Microsoft, where for like 20 years, Windows was the primary focus of Microsoft and indeed the entire computer industry. And it took Sashi Nutella to sort of wrench Microsoft away with what actually what's most valuable is that we have a sales force serving enterprise customers and we should sell them whatever we can sell them, even if it's cloud services running Linux because Windows isn't what matters anymore. So great trauma, you know, or great success imprints people uh, the perhaps the the harder part for technical people is that, and I guess I should give credit to management school like the, the Harvard Business School. The idea is that business people are supposed to be thinking strategically about what the current business problem is, and they don't always do it. But at least they understand that that's their job. Yeah. You know, their job is to look at the business realities and figure out what is the current problem and how to solve it. Whereas technical co-founders. Aren't even trained to think in those terms, right? And so it is um, even harder uh, in some ways, or maybe it feels more unfair. So the so you know Andrews was you know clearly Andrews doesn't come off looking he comes across looking foolish in this story, right?
0: Yeah, is that he kind
1: of Hmm. throws a tantrum. He asks for something as a sign of how little he knows about the business. He thinks like a million dollars is a lot of money.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: right. And you know he ends up regretting it. He gets his he gets what he he he, he says he wanted, and then realizes it isn't what he wanted,
0: and he <laughs> just kind of <laughs> exits as a sort of rich but kind of useless guy. Yeah. See, it's like somebody who's asking for. Something exorbitant, and then when they get it, they say, "I should have asked for more." <laughs> He's going to give it to me. I should have asked for more. The typical case there, yeah. So, yeah, but but the thing, any um, did he offer right. him any share share in the business? I don't remember in the story. In the he, no, he. I, I, I think the whole, point was, the whole point was to buy out his share. Oh, okay. Right. Oh. Like if he was smart,
1: yeah. uh, he would. Have the, 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 uh, well, Rockefeller sold his share to Vanderbilt for mm. so the thing that was risking was not the money, but is this a million dollars worth of shares, you know, appeared on the market, you know, it would have looked back to the company, right? Like Insider is selling all his shares, right? Yeah. That was what triggered the boardroom coup that led to Steve Jobs taking over that he sold all his shares. Yeah. Uh, but so what Rockefeller did is he sold. Andrew's shared for $1.3 million to Vanderbilt. So it didn't have to go public, you know? And then, and so, you know, there's nothing stopping Andrews, I don't think, from going on the market and trying to buy shares afterwards, right? With money from his stake. But, you know, probably a combination of you can't buy that many shares easily and a sense of humiliation and embarrassment, whatever. Like, I mean, So Rockefeller, so there was, you know, nothing formally locked Andrew into this. It's just he kind of, you know, boxed himself in by his own attitude, frankly. Right. Once he sort of decided he didn't trust the way Rockefeller managed the business. Right. And that's interesting. He sort of had a loss of trust and, or a loss of faith in Rockefeller. Uh, That was the root of the problem. And so once that happened, like, there was no way things were going to end well for Andrews.
0: Okay. In Andrews' defense, he has no precedent to go by. The stock market was probably in his infancy, and, you know, people always looked at it as gambling. And from his background and his culture at the time, the money cash was probably better than you know than shares uh well the point so, is he had shares right he didn't have yeah. to sell his stake. yeah right like he didn't have to but, sell uh, yeah, it i think
1: it's actually worse than that i think you're right but i think the point is, is that that was how rockefeller viewed business mm. as a gamble worth taking right yeah so Because like Andrew said, like, you're buying all this money, you're borrowing all this money and throwing it into the business, Mm. which is an uncertain, risky thing, right? And, you know, that concept didn't exist. Right. Right? You know, the phrase in Silicon Valley, you know, be impatient for learning, but be patient, or sorry, impatient for growth, patient Mm. for profit. Right? And so the Mm. idea is that you take all your earnings, pile them back into the business as opposed to the traditional business view is that you always take your wings. You don't, you don't throw it all back on the table. Mm, Right. And so that whole mindset is that the opportunity is so huge. And the return is so likely it's worth not just, you know, putting all your cash into it, but borrowing heavily and putting more into it is a very foreign mindset. And that, you know, Andrews, I think it is, said probably would have agreed with Rockefeller because the track record was great, Rockefeller's success was great, but emotionally it was excruciating for Andrews, you know, a Scotsman. What is it, uh, our, our church uh, yeah. treasurer, uh, treasurer used to say, a Scotsman is the only one who can, oh, this is horribly politically incorrect, but- um, say, that, say that again? It no, it was a Dutchman. A Dutchman mm. said, uh, he was a Dutchman, so a the Dutchman is the one who can uh, buy from a Jew and sell to a Scotsman and still make a profit. You know, Scotsman's are notoriously thrifty. Yeah, right, Really thrifty, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're right, part uh, of their cultural stereotype, whatever. And so, yeah. like, the, uh and like, probably in the early days, maybe there was some value in his business sense. But primarily his value was technical, right? And yeah. so Andrew's, um, had emotional difficulty with the route Rockefeller was taking. Boy, this is getting kind of uh, yeah. personal he makes, here. Uh, he I, mean, I, I may have to take a moment at uh, some point cause some of these issues are uh, live in my own uh, relationships. Uh, but, you know, he intellectually may have agreed with Rockefeller, but this violated his sort of core emotional programming. Right. And that was leading to all this conflict between him and Rockefeller. And it, and it erupted in a way where Rockefeller essentially called his bluff and then Andrews ended up in the cold. Right, okay.
0: So what would so you call this is, chapter? What would you uh, call this it,
1: chapter? I call this chapter ambivalent paternalism. Um, and let me say, here's the thing that's interesting is that if you're in the family, Rockefeller is incredibly supportive, right? He doesn't, yeah. like, you know, Archibald was a rival, right? And, and Rockefeller held no grudges against, you know, like, yeah. once you agreed with him, once you were alive, once you, uh, this is the word, enrollment, once yeah. you enrolled in the Rockefeller plan, you're like, he took care of you, right? Okay. He would, mm-hmm. you know, worry about the the health and welfare, you know, even to the point of meddling in their personal lives. Mm-hmm. But, but, but the flip side of this, is that once you opted out, once mm. you, you know, either you know, then Rockefeller, then you were dead to him, mm. right? Because this is the thing about Rockefeller, like from a business perspective, this seems perfectly reasonable, right? Right. What's sad right. and uh kind of shameful is that he edited and out of the entire story of Stanford Oil like you know it talks about how he just oh, just missed andrews oh yeah he had some good ideas early on, but you know it was all in the air you know, we would have figured out eventually we didn't really need andrews. Mm. as opposed to him yeah. being really the key factor that enable all this to happen right and right. this is the thing that has always been so, okay, let, me, let me pause here for a moment how do mm. you think and feel about rockefeller
0: at this stage of the game,
1: uh, at this stage of our conversation.
0: Yeah, uh, I, you know, I think as a businessman, he has to do what is right for his business. And um, who knows, you know, if uh, Andrews had come back to him and said, you know, I made a mistake, and then he could have reconciled because right, it with, uh, with uh, Archibald. See? So, uh, I. I think at this point he's doing the right thing because, you know, uh, I was thinking about like a chess game, Ernie. In mm-hmm. this chess game, it's not the queen. Uh, what Rockefeller is offering his rooks, both the rooks, early on in the game. Right? Yeah. He's sacrificing them for the future. He probably has Yeah. He said, see, the thing is, he didn't have the... He knows dollars. he has pawns he can,
1: he can crown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he can things clean things his pawn.
1: So he's willing to yeah. sacrifice a rook
0: to advance a pawn yeah. that he can crown later. Yeah, or yeah, queen uh, later. Things, yeah, things like that. And the um, uh, other thing is that oh, it's gone now, completely gone. Um, oh, I, whatever I was going to say is it's completely gone. We'll keep talking okay, and we'll come back.
1: Okay. Right,
0: but uh, no, uh, the I most think interesting think part of your frame. Yeah, no, I think in, in, in my case, you know, sometimes you sacrifice a, a body part in order to save the life. One of the classic yeah. examples, which is a very controversial thing, when a woman gets pregnant and right. she has breast cancer, when she has a breast cancer, then you have to terminate the pregnancy, otherwise the mother will die. Mm. That's one of the few instances that uh, I would think that you know abortion is justified. You, right. Although people will argue with me on that. But you know, you yeah. are looking at this and then uh, you are looking at it in a very pragmatic way and saying the mother's life is very uh, valuable. So that's how right. you- and there's, also, and, if, yeah, yeah. and
1: there's also the fact that the, I mean, and obviously if the mother is, so, so just so I'm saying the counterfactual is the alternative if she doesn't get treatment and the baby has a good chance of being
0: born of healthy. Well, not necessarily. The mother may even die before baby is born.
1: Right. So there's, 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 so there's the so there's a trade-off question, and then there's the utilitarian. Yeah. Do
0: they both difficult. die, or the mother lot, yeah. li, lives? Right. And so but if yes, you don't know that.
1: It's very fraught. Oh, okay. No, so this is the, that. the yeah the the epistemic uncertainty. Right. No. Is there's likelihood and probability. And yeah. therefore, this is why people argue is, in the face of uncertainty, how do they weight different
0: possibilities? Yeah, it's a very difficult ethical question. This particular yeah. uh, uh, example I gave you, but it's the easier one if you say you can cut off a whole limb uh, yeah. in order to save the life, you know. Um, right. Or, you know, we do, you used to do mastectomies before, and yeah. nowadays we don't do that anymore, but. So things like that, you know you can remove even one lung or one kidney uh, in order to save the life of the person uh, yeah and, and but there are certain organs you cannot do it <laughs> right so, yeah, well, uh, actually, what's really interesting about that example um, is that maybe not our listeners, so
1: hmm. if we ever have any but like to the general population, this is not hmm. considered a moral dilemma, right because abortion has been normalized right. Right, and if you don't care, then the moral dilemma goes yeah, into no, yeah, yeah yeah yeah, well, and no and problem. this is i think precisely the point is hmm. the the thing that um and, and, and I'm not saying this is actually the case, but hmm. it looks like Rockefeller doesn't care what happens to Andrews. Right? It's oh. like, Hey, you want out great. I mean, so I mean, I'm not saying that it is the case It'll be yeah. like, from a business perspective. If yeah. you say, well, if somebody's not on board with the program, if they're not by then like, I have to do what's right for the business. Mm. That's the only ethical consideration that I need to worry about. Mm. And therefore getting rid of the dead one so that the business can thrive is okay. the obviously a hundred percent
0: right thing to do. Yeah okay right. let me ask you a question yes okay would steve jobs have done this
1: absolutely
0: <laughs> without hesitation he would do it
1: right like, like literally like my my boss
0: the guy yeah. who
1: brought me into apple was fired by yeah. steve jobs you know uh, like a week after i joined the company <laughs> I see. maybe a couple of months after i joined the company so like yeah no question about it Right. And but this is precisely the conundrum that I've been trying Mm. to unravel since I left Apple.
0: Mm. Is that
1: is that the like there's a lot of wonderful things that can be said about Apple and a lot of wonderful things that can be said about Steve Jobs. Right. Uh And Rockefeller and oil. Right. And from a business perspective. right? those decisions and choices were absolutely necessary for the business to achieve the level of success it did and right. for the, you know, extraordinarily positive work environment that they created. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. And I, and, but like the, the at the same time, there was a very, Heavy human toll that was exacted on the employees and on Steve Jobs himself.
0: Hmm.
1: And where where does that sit? Like, where do we put that, that emotional toll?
0: Well, I don't know whether, uh, maybe Steve Jobs, but with Rockefeller, I don't think there was an emotional toll here.
1: So let me ask you the question. Why was he not more generous to Andrews in his retelling of the story?
0: Yeah, that, I think that's the thing. See, um, because at the time, he decided on the spot, that okay, you want out? Okay, million million, okay. Right. And things like right. that. So that but is a your, pragmatic your business decision is an easy one to justify. Yeah. But, the, but why did he rewrite he later history? on But later on, you think you said he mentioned that, well, he was redundant anyway, and he was not uh, contributing anyway.
1: No, no, it wasn't just that at that point in time. But
0: but, 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 the point is, he he,
1: he, he basically uh, unwrote Andrews from the founding story of Standard
0: Oil. Yeah. But, you know, that just goes to show that Rockefeller is human after all, you know.
1: Well, but exactly. But this is the point. Right.
0: Yeah. So, are we talking about Rockefeller as a businessman or as a human? Well, as a businessman, that was the right decision. But, right. But as a human being, but as as a human being, I think that was a mistake to have said that. He he could have said that you know, it was his decision to leave, and I took him up on his offer. So instead of badmouthing him.
1: Right. Yeah. So so this is the interesting point. Right, is that I think the two are connected. Right. And is this this lesson, this issue I'm trying to unravel, is that the thing that struck me about and what I call this ambivalent paternalism is there's this two uh, like everyone talks about how charming and pleasant and um, um you know supportive he was of his employees. Right. Yeah. But there's and Rockefeller bristles at this caricature of him as an evil, malignant, indifferent overlord, right? But yeah. That's but there's a well. This is where the word paternalism comes in, right? Because uh, there's a sense in which he's also kind of this emotionally detached but benevolent figure who's kind of uh, sneaking around with his little book, taking notes of all the things that people are doing wrong and kind of delights in surprising people and speaking up on them. Is that, like, he is definitely benevolent, but I don't know that anybody in his company, at least, would describe him as more or emotionally present.
0: Or a sympathetic listening ear? I don't know about about morality, but about emotionally present, maybe you're right. See, you'll find out as we read the story more, there are more instances that this will come to light. Uh, There are uh, some of these underlings did uh, some uh, strong-arm tactics against uh, people. Uh, Later on, you'll find out about the coal mining and the other stuff that he did. So um, there will be uh, situations where uh, he would say, I, I didn't know about that, but there was no way he couldn't have known about it, things like that. So
1: I think, right. well, I think there is easy way, and this is the question of compartmentalization. Yeah. Right? And right. this is the thing that I, I keep coming back to, which yeah. is that he is at a big chunk of his success was due to compartmentalization.
0: But we do that all and, the time. Ernie. sorry? We do that all the time. I'll give you some examples when you're done. Okay, go ahead.
1: No no, 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 this is my point, is that but one could argue that all the things that we find tragic and regrettable in his life, I would argue, are also due to
0: compartmentalization. Say that again.
1: That he sort of, that all the things that we find tragic and regrettable in his life, yeah. Like, compartmentalization is his superpower, uh, but it's also a, uh, his curse. Okay. The things that we say, oh, it's so sad that he did that. I don't understand why he did that. I would argue it's because of compartmentalization. Yeah. He had to shift Andrew's good box to the bad box, and that's what made it easy for him to let Andrews go. But also what sort of required him to... Get a great andrews after the fact was that compartmentalization
0: that's yeah, my basic yeah, that's reason. the thing yeah yeah that's the thing we are not questioning how we dealt with him uh business way but uh, again but,
1: but, but, but let game. me
0: but let me run a counterfactual here and then i'll
1: yeah. let you, yeah. you that like what if and like i'm saying i'm not saying this was psychologically possible for rockefeller at the time right mm. Right, I'm not here to judge or condemn Rockefeller. I'm trying to understand him because yeah. these are live issues in my own life and live issues in business today. Yeah. Is that one could imagine a super Rockefeller who says, "Andrews, I understand you're upset. I yeah. understand you're scared. I understand you're frustrated with me. And, yeah. you know, I would like to suggest that you take a week or a month off and think about what is it that – but, like, this is the business we have. This is the mm-hmm. business we're in. This is the journey we are on in that it's I awesome. feel like we have a calling to create the world's, you know, first multinational corporation and bring light and illumination mm-hmm. and education uh, to the whole world. And because of that, we have to take some hard risks. And I know that's really deeply uncomfortable for you. I would like you to go away for a month and think about, do you want to enroll in this journey with me or not? Instead of sort of like taking him up at a moment of emotional angst, Rockefeller could have, I'm not saying he would have, or was psychologically possible. One could imagine a super Rockefeller having Mm -hmm. the psychological self-awareness and other awareness To help Andrews reflect on his deeds and make a conscious choice rather than just letting him cut himself off.
0: I would argue that even if he had done that, Andrews, with his mindset at that time, would have still taken the same route.
1: Quite possible. I don't
0: think he would change his mind. But the difference is, yeah, we don't know, right? He might,
1: or they might have come up with a third option. Yeah. You know, where Andrews was like, you know, yeah. you know, not alienated from Rockefeller. He said, you know, I just can't handle the stress. Let me just take a quiet retirement. And, yep. you know, and Rockefeller said, okay, you know, like maybe, you know, maybe Rockefeller would have said, hey, keep, you know, 10% of the shares in the company. uh, You know, so they because I think that you'll regret it if you don't. Yeah. Right? Rockefeller... The, the huge difference here is not, and this is the thing that's fascinating to me about this, let me call it the Christ-like Rockefeller, maybe to make a point more thing, is that if he had the psychological capacity to comprehend Andrew's case, <laughs> Rockefeller <laughs> would not uh, have needed to eject Andrews from the good box. He could have created space to say, you know, hey, this, this is exactly what Steve Jobs did with Wozniak. Steve <laughs> Wozniak, was not able to keep up with Steve.
0: Right.
1: Walkek is still an employee of Apple. He still has his stock. He still has benefits and salary. He just has no influence over the company at all. Yeah. And that to me, like he so this is one where Steve, you know, with the benefit of a hundred you know years of hindsight, was able to do better than Rockefeller. He was able to part on good terms yeah. And Wozniak still got to share in the reflected glory of Apple. Right. And Steve never felt the need. So this is this is the thing that like it doesn't change the business outcome, no. but it preserves the relationship to the extent it can be preserved.
0: Right. And but because I don't think Steve Steve never badmouthed Wozniak either, right?
1: Well like I said, like he would they preserve the relationship.
0: Right, yeah. is they found a third
1: way. Yeah. Which you know, and again, you know, if you're in a battlefield, you have to make you know hard, you know, vicious decisions in order for the patient or the 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 army the or the business to survive. I mean, being in a startup, you know, you have to make these hard decisions. It was a limited you have a limited amount of time, energy, and psychological capacity. I guess we okay. could call it time, energy, and ego are the scarce resources okay. and like you know uh, uh, on the way here i was juggling you know my son about how to uh figure out you know his timing and my timing and you know when we only have so much time all these constraints and it's hard it's like okay if i have enough time energy and ego i could try to find a win-win solution right. but if all of those are in short supply i have to make mm-hmm. some hard choices Hmm. And I think the point is, is those hard charges might be justified, they might be necessary, but that's not the same thing as saying that they are 100% right.
0: Okay, now I may have to interrupt you because all my thoughts will go away if I don't mention them yeah, now. So I'm done anyway, so go for it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I keep it a several... notebook so I can write notes on the side uh, so that <laughs> they I can mean, remember them. And so
0: <laughs> i so I can hold my thoughts, so you can write yours down. Okay, so let me give you a few, few of my thoughts, okay? Yeah. Uh, I think you said it was not the Christ-like way of doing it. I would say offer this solution. Christ may have done the same thing, but he would not have bad-mouthed him afterwards. That's the only thing. Uh, that's one well, point.
1: Uh, uh, right. Second point. Sure. <laughs> Second point. Right, when you say the same thing, do you mean mm-hmm. that he would have let the guy make a snap decision and then Uh, cut him loose without any attempt to understand him or comprehend him or talk him out of it?
0: No, I think he would have let him go. Here's your million dollars, go. But he would have said he was a very valuable, uh, like uh, with the watchman. Without him, I wouldn't have been where I am. Uh, He was a very important uh, uh, piece of uh, my success and all those things. Uh, that's what I would have said. Anyway, uh, okay. That's one point. Second point is compartmentalization. This is the example that I thought about. I'm a very nice guy, and I treat people very well. I'm always for the underdog, and uh, things like that. But when I'm playing tennis, and sometimes I'll tell my partner, "No mercy. Let's go for it." Go for the throat, (laughs) okay. And if there are two people playing in an important match, and there are two people playing, one guy is a top player, and his partner is not a top good player at all, we always attack the the, uh, poor player in order to win the matches, okay. We are really aggressive about that, and but the only difference is afterwards we'll go and say. Good game. Uh, you you had some nice shots and um, things like that. And then go out and have, you know, coffee with them or whatever. We'll, we'll continue to be friends with them. So we have to do what you have to do. But you can do it uh, without cutting off the relationship, which is what you also said, I think. So that's one. Then the last point, and then I'll let you ask, <laughs> reply to them. Paul, when he was going to go on this journey, cut off John Mark. And he also told him and he was not reliable because he didn't uh, come with the last time. So he, he also cut off, I think he, uh, he went up uh, with Silas and he took uh, uh, Barnabas, I uh, Barnabas and he took Silas, right? So there there was a business decision he made and he let john mark go so these are my points
1: (laughs) okay so let's let's talk about um uh st paul because that's easier than talking about us we'll see how far that, that doesn't always succeed in avoiding the emotional trigger but at least it gives us a fighting chance
0: okay all right, okay. so let's
1: go through this, because I thought about this one. I have actually a half-finished draft of a story about this, hmm. which is that, so the as the story goes in, um, you know, so that, that you know, Paul uh, and Barnabas, yeah. is not so much about John Mark, it's about Barnabas, is what the story is really interesting,
0: hmm. is that
1: Barnabas is, uh, you know, the son of encouragement. I think it was actually his nickname. I don't forget what his yeah, name right. was. Yeah,
0: right, yeah, it is. Yeah.
1: And so he was the guy who took Paul's side. Yeah. When Paul Peter. became yeah. a Christian, right? Yeah. Because all the Christians were afraid of him. But Barnabas said, "Hey, no, let's give this guy a chance. I know he's done exactly. some horrible things in the past, but I yeah. believe in him, right? Yeah. And so they all go up at the Mary Beth and Luke and Barnabas and Saint Paul and uh, and then John Mark comes alongside. Yeah. Um, and then. Things get difficult, and John Mark cuts and runs. Right. Okay. Um, and so then, when the time comes for the next trip, Barnabas says, "Hey, let's give Mark another chance." And Paul right. goes, "No way in hell."
0: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: A right? That I <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, and. Uh. Paul and Barnabas, according to scripture, have such a sharp disagreement that they yeah. part ways. Yeah. Okay. So what was the point you were trying to make about and then this is quite like the story from scripture. Uh mm-hmm. later, Paul does actually say, you know, uh something nice about Mark, like send him to me, I found him useful or whatever. There's a reconciliation of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he acknowledges it. Okay. So so given that story, so what was the point that you were trying to make by bringing in St. At Paul that here?
0: point, he did badmouth him. He did say, you "No, know, John Mark is not reliable. He's, uh, so that's why he, he, he didn't say anything complimentary at that time. So, so, has,
1: but so but, but, but the, the theme was
0: compartmentalization. Hmm.
1: I mean, it feels like you're making my point for me. Like compartmentalization right. is necessary, but it hmm. has severe downsides. It's dangerous. Okay. Right. Well, I mean, just, mean, Sorry. Were you trying to
0: say that this is a?
1: Were you? What, what was your point of bringing the example of Saint Paul? I'm actually
0: curious. Yeah. No. Sir. He was also similar to Rockefeller. That's what I was comparing them. He did. Right. I don't know. Yes. He he yeah. he he is also human. So he also made that decision to cut off the relationship with Barnabas, basically on account of John Mark and but he also banned most parts. So um, similar to what Rockefeller did. But like you mentioned later on he reconciled. But here Rockefeller probably did not recon we don't know. We'll see find out later mm-hmm. on whether it does anything or not, but he may not. So oh, that's why uh, I said so uh, sometimes sometimes, you know, like I was talking about my compartmentalization Maybe this was compartmentalization on Paul's part that he did cut off the relationship with Barnabas and didn't even include him in his trip. He took Silas or something like that, right?
1: Yeah, so so this is the interesting thing, right? Mm. And so here's the interesting question. Do you want to say that compartmentalization is good?
0: No, I think in this case, Paul was wrong. I think he should have uh, reconciled with John Mark and taken Barnabas with him.
1: So, yeah, so here's the,
0: uh,
1: this is, a, what is it, to compartmentalize is hmm. human to reconcile the divine. <laughs> okay, we can say that. Okay. Right, and I think this is, so this is the interesting thing, right, uh, is that um, the, the, and and, and let's, actually, let, let me give you a better example of Jesus compartmentalizing, okay. which is um, with Saint Peter, so mm. there's a scene, uh, and they're right adjacent to each other in at least one of the Gospels, <laughs> right, where, right, you know, yeah. Je- where Jesus says, "Who, are, who am I?" and yeah, yeah. Peter says, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus yeah. says, "Blessed are you, Simon son of Jonah," you know, because yeah. you know, flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all that, yeah. Uh, yeah. and. Then the next thing is, says, and by the way, I'm going to die. And Peter goes, "Hey, never, Lord." And Jesus goes, "Get thee behind me, Satan." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And okay. so, hmm. does does Jesus think of Peter as the rock of the church or an instrument of Satan? Right? And it's like what. Well,
0: Different part, you no, know. But the, 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 that's a different context. I think that's a different context. You know, I mean, he's a teacher and he's, this guy is a student. So.
1: Uh, but, but but the point yeah. is is that
0: but I mean yeah. okay so okay this is interesting. So, this, right? so do yeah. you
1: do you view that as Jesus dispassionately saying, "Oh Peter, you're just being an instrument of Satan," where it feels emotionally <laughs> like get me <laughs> behind me, Satan? Is that Jesus was kind of ticked off at Peter at that moment? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that they. Right? It was an emotional reaction, and
0: yeah. this is
1: fascinating to me. Uh, mm-hmm. I heard a great talk once. Is that when we see God being angry, it is a sign of God being vulnerable. So mm-hmm. We're only really angry when people touch us in an area that hurts. Right. Like if you're playing, mm-hmm. you know, like like if you're in this uh, competitive mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk about that, right? So, you know, and, you, you know, if if your partner does something foolish or, like, he's not paying attention because he's, like, looking at something yeah. outside and he misses a point, I imagine you would be angry. Yeah. Right? Whereas if you're playing with your grandkids in non-competitive mode, you're not going to get angry at them because you're not emotionally yeah. invested mm-hmm. in that situation, right?
0: Okay. And And,
1: mm-hmm. uh, you know, a fair game... Is where everyone's enrolled in the like. If everyone's playing competitively, then mm-hmm. like I said, you have you, you all agree on that frame, and then you all fight it out, and then afterwards you're all friends. Right. 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 I'm talking, and about it's that understood thing. that everyone's sort yeah. of enrolled in the same thing are okay so with it. Yeah. The problem is always when and like you know when you have kids and the siblings, it's like well one of them's playing competitively, the other one's playing for fun, and then yeah. things get easily get out of hand. Right. Sometimes yeah. one says that they're playing, you know, one way and they're actually playing the other. Yeah. And they may even think that they're playing one way, but they're actually playing another, right? This is hard when, yeah. the, when yeah. children are immature and when human yeah. beings are immature, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, and the interesting thing is, I actually think, like, you know, to be human is to compartmentalize. In fact, one could argue that is what makes us human beings.
0: Rather than right. divine being, yeah, yeah, that we of are course. compartmentalized away from God, yeah. and that this is the fundamental dynamic. Is sometimes compartmentalization is necessary in certain situations, right? Right, yeah, right. Yeah. And, 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 but here's the argument: is mm. that
1: it creates, um, and, and this is the idea of you know, the necessity of um, 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 self differentiation. Like a leader who does not compartmentalize, just um uh you know, swayed back and forth by the emotions of the people he's supposed to serve, is not very useful. Right? He becomes a thermometer rather than a thermostat. He right. can't actually lead. Right. And this is the the challenge and the paradox is that um so, I mean, maybe it actually is. Uh, there's both a glory and a tragedy bound up in compartmentalization, because it creates a certain alienation. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing that I would say is, I can mm-hmm. certainly imagine that Jesus. I mean, the way I the, the way I use the terms, this is just me. So, thing mm-hmm. I have to figure about this. I think of Jesus as the fully human person who went through all oh, the yeah. things that humans do, including getting angry, yeah, right. yeah. whatever. Yeah. And I but think of Christ. Yeah. But I think of specifically of the role of Christ yeah. is the reconciler. And I yeah. would say that Rock you know, uh to that I could certainly say that it would be Jesus like to fire uh to uh you know to to do to Andrews what he did to Saint Peter, get me behind me. (laughs) Right. Right. That would be that would be Jesus like. I'll give you that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not what I mean by the phrase Christ
0: like. Yeah, just like we said before, he did reconcile with him afterwards too, right? You know, even when he. Sorry, who? He
1: who so I yeah. mean, like Paul and St. and John, Mark. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. uh yeah. Right, and I think that's the point: is that it was it, it, making a expedient decision yeah. based on emotions, yeah. um, and choosing the best from a bunch of bad options is Jesus-like, yeah. but it's not Christ-like. Yeah. In my use of those terms. And okay. that's the interesting idea mm. is that there is a like the term normal life and exceptional life is like there's certain okay. norm of what we consider good.
0: All right. Would it be a good life? Normally good, okay. mm. you know? And,
1: yeah. but the thing is, is that the reason that's dangerous mm. is what's normally good can become ultimately evil. Um, if it's left unchecked and Mm. this is where you need to because it's like like normally if you're playing a game you play to win right that's a norm and that's a normal expectation but as as you know when you play like being aware of the fact that that normally good thing can fail you Right. I don't know if you've had this with, when you, when Larry and I, probably when Larry and I were kids, I you don't know if you ever saw this, is that sometimes mm. one person would be playing for fun and the other person would be playing to win, and then it would end up very badly.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Uh, and, 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 you know, and as part of an adult being an adult, okay, you, you, you normally it's fine to play to win, but mm. you have to realize there are exceptional circumstances where sometimes, you need to step out. You need to. Do, I call it throwing an exception, where you have to step out of the norm and say, "Okay, if I just mm-hmm. keep doing the normal thing, this will end badly." Yeah, and I need to do something different. And that's what I call living a,
0: the exceptional life. Right. Right. Okay. Now let yeah. me throw you another curveball. Sure. <laughs> now, we were talking earlier about it. We only about ten minutes, but um, taking the you know um lesser of the two evils type of thing. Mm-hmm. Or you have yeah. to sacrifice something in order to do good. And yeah. Jesus sees a demon possessed man and then and the demons ask send us somewhere <laughs> to the pigs. Yeah. And so he sends them to the pigs and of course the whole bunch of pigs go down and get drowned and people are very upset at that. Though their livelihood. So yeah. there I think he put more value on that one human being than on the other pigs. So he took the lesser of the two options, which is good. Our, right. Other, yeah. Uh, he, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that's so right. I
1: mean, yeah. And like, he didn't care about mm-hmm. the financial cost of the other people because he cared about the healing of the yeah. one man.
0: Right. Yeah. It does
1: beg the question, like, wasn't there a third option? <laughs> You know, like, why did he, yeah, you, you, to
0: have, rip, you
1: know, he could have put them into a non-commercial, uh, uh, commercially <laughs> valuable animal. And I just look in the ants over here, or, or the crows or something, or the sparrows. And people, like, the application. Mosquitoes. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe he already did. That's why we have mosquitoes. They're all full of expelled demons. It was explain a lot, actually. Um, the, yeah. the like it, it seems to imply yeah. that uh, even Jesus was operating under some constraints, right? He mm. couldn't just snap his fingers and they disappear. There was a mm. trade-off, and that's part of the price of being human. Is so that there's yeah. always these trade-offs, and yeah. you know, one could argue well. Shouldn't someone be holding Jesus accountable for all these sort of arbitrary trade-offs? And the short mm-hmm. answer is that well, that's exactly what the cross is, right? Is <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Even Jesus, sort of a and all my kind of point is that the governmentalization is 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 it's a, in some ways it's a form of digitization where you just say let's you know, let's assign a, a fixed number to this one, two, and three, and there's mm-hmm. all these spaces in between, you know, between the, you know the shades of gray. And this is why I talk about nothing is really 100% good. Yeah, you know they all, right. all we have the that. secondary consequences. And yeah. this is mm-hmm. the idea of normal life versus exceptional life. In normal life, we have to make choices, but we build right. up this sort of karmic debt. Right. You know, from these and like the the, the 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 compartmentalization that allowed Rockefeller to function. You know, is building up these. You know, is really useful in a lot of ways. But there's a karmic debt piling up, and you know, you know, maybe it won't get uh, uh, reconciled. I mean, maybe eventually, I guess that gets paid when Standard Oil dies. Yeah. Right. As eventually it goes away,
0: Mm. people still argue about this company's nasty reputation. Yeah, going back to uh, these, I think, uh, uncompartmentalization. probably we can say that he's being fully divine and fully human is the ultimate compartmentalization. Sometimes he acts as fully human, yeah. sometimes he acts as fully divine. But also, like, one could argue that, like,
1: you know, for G was essentially God compartmentalizing, right? <laughs> okay, okay. Right, the incarnation, right? Is that, yeah. is, 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 and so that is... Uh, Maybe I'll change the episode title to "Compartmentalize as Human," mm. um, and this is the human predicament, right? This is the human condition mm. that, in order to be, you know, uh, especially in America, to be an individual, you know, the idea is that you are compartmentalizing in a way mm. that an in Indian culture, I mean, mm. uh, it, it's definitely less so, right? It's much more. I am part of this family. I follow my family. Uh, traditions, mm. that is my identity, as opposed yeah. to the sort of weird Western educated industrialized rich democratic viewpoint of I am my own mm. person, I must compartmentalize, I must argue with my father and make my own choices, mm. yeah. not doing everything she wants. That's a very Western way of looking at it. Right, right. And in some ways you give, you trade, you gain agency. Mm. Uh, at the price of losing empathy. Is that you right. can't, like, if you worry too much about what everyone thinks, you you cease to be able to function, right? If Rockefeller right. cared too much about everyone's good opinion, he never would have yeah. survived his childhood. So, 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 so. Yeah.
0: Right?
1: You so, built a business. And, and yet this yeah. is the tragedy. And I think that's maybe the thing is that, like, is that at a certain level of thinking, sort of normal thinking, well, it's just the way it is. This is obviously, the only thing he could have done. But then the idea of having this exceptional Christ-like alternative, it's like, okay, but now that these hard choices have earned us some leisure, we yeah. have a certain moral obligation cadence, um, about the morality of the Spider-Verse, is that at some point you need to stop and reflect on your actions and let go of your self-righteousness and is there an exceptional alternative that is better?
0: Yeah, but you know, I mean, in, uh, as in the case of Jesus, too. Sometimes this is a teaching moment, right? You know, we learn from these things and try not to commit those mistakes. And uh, uh, because um, given the circumstances going back to Rockefeller, you would have done the same decision. You would have let Andrews go. But the Christ-like thing, like you said, should be not to bad about him, but also keep a relationship like the, Steve Jobs did with Wozniak. So that will be the point. Right. But,
1: but here's what I would argue, right, is yeah. that if he had not had to such, so, so rigidly compartmentalize his life, he wouldn't mm. have had to do a snap decision with him. Because I think it was. Well, yeah. I would argue that, in fact, everything was so painful for Rockefeller, mm. the only way he could deal with it was to re- eliminate the tension immediately. Yep. And just let Andrews go, you know, get rid of him quickly, but, you know, he had the check waiting for him. And if he had had the spare the, the ego capacity to not compartmentalize, well, one, he wouldn't be the Rockefeller we know, but right. two, he wouldn't have had to enforce such hard things. Anyway, I have to enforce a hard stop now because I, at 10 o'clock, I'm going to compartmentalize okay. like a good Westerner and cut you off. <laughs> okay. It well. was a great talk, Dad, and I will see you
0: tomorrow. In person. That's right. I'll pick. I'll pick you up. Uh, keep me posted, and uh, you know when you get into the plane and so on. Yeah. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay. I love you. Love see you, Dad. You too. Bye. Soon. Have a good day.